episode 25 of The Neil and Sam Show with your hosts, Sam Soderopoulos and Neil Flagg. Welcome back, everyone, to the summer special of The Neil and Sam Show. So much to talk about, so little time. Neil, I trust summer's moving along nicely for you and your family. Yes, thank you very much, Sam. Welcome back to you, too. It's been a while since we've done a podcast, but uh, uh, oh my God, we we could do a podcast every day with the the rate that news is breaking in the world. Excellent. We live in interesting times, Sam, very interesting times. That could be a blessing or a curse. I, I suppose it's a blessing. A blessing or a curse. Well, I'll take blessing because what the hell. Exactly. <laughs> Let's launch right into this, Neil. Art is long and life is short. So I know we both were just bursting at the seams to say a few things about a few things and happenings. So take it away, Neil. What are we talking about today? Well, why don't we talk about something that's uh, both a blessing and a curse so far. And it's something that we recorded several podcasts about. Uh, last year, or I guess it was earlier this year, yeah, or when we were doing weeklies earlier this year, and that is Doug Ford and the Ontario government. Since we last spoke to you, uh, listeners, he has become Premier of Ontario, and <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. <laughs> at least when you when you hear that, sure, we'll take it. When you hear that at first, and if you had been asleep in a coma for the last year, you would be shocked. Some of you would be appalled. Some of you would be shouting at the moon how, how excited you are. And uh, he's only had a few weeks on the job, but it's already been a very interesting few weeks, Sam. I know the, the uh, nearest and dearest uh, thing that he's done so far to our hearts that makes us scream yes is his announcement that he's cutting politicians at Toronto City Council by half. How awesome is that? That is quite likely the political... Move of the century, and so far as Toronto municipal city politics are concerned, and I am pleased beyond compare, Neil. There is nobody. I mean, I was away overseas, and I was following this wrapped, wrapped with uh, and just completely enthralled by what was happening and the outcry, the outrage, the tears of frustration, all of that, knowing full well, and this is the part that kills me, they knew full well that there's nothing they can do about it, literally. The province, this is well within the purview of the Premier and the province of Ontario, the Municipal Act is their business. It's not the federal government's business. If the federal government, I mean, Adam Vaughn posturing, because I think he'll probably take a run at the leadership once the liberals come to some sort of sense about themselves and dump Trudeau for the liability that he is increasingly becoming and has become. But the Andrea Horvath will not be leader of the Ontario NDP. That's my prediction, Neil. I've taken out the crystal ball. I want to get this into everybody's heads. A year from now, Andrea Horvath will not be leader of the NDP, the Ontario uh, New Democratic Party, uh, or Dippers, as the colloquial term for them is, because they keep dipping into people's pockets incessantly. She will not be their leader. She's a disgrace, shameless, and an attention-seeking, I don't know, grandstander who's increasingly speaking to an eroding base, and I predict Peter Tabbins will likely be her replacement as leader of the Ontario NDP. There you go. Well, we have our first prediction of the show here. Uh, I'd just like to say on that matter, uh, you're probably right. Any sensible person would would say you got to get rid of her. She's been a, a shrieking shrew 
in uh, just the first month of, of leading the opposition, and it's grating on anybody I have spoken to about her. I mean, she was grating on people during the election campaign. She is grating on people now. It's ridiculous. But uh, if you look south of the border, uh, our you know our left may be as delusional as the American left because for now, I guess it's uh, going on over eight years or going on eight years now. The Democrat Party has left Nancy Pelosi in charge of them, their minority in the uh, in the House of in the uh, House of Representatives in the states. She's uh, cl- close to as bad as Andrea Horvath, but they don't get the get the uh, uh, the memo that the American people don't like her and that she's dragging them down. And you know, if if the NDP and the the left in general in Ontario want this uh, this shrew to drag them down for however long they want to keep her there, you know, let's let's encourage that. So. Uh, maybe she'll be gone, maybe she won't. But let's talk about the Toronto City Council, which is hilarious. You know, the other thing that happened that we'll get into after uh, in the last couple of weeks is the Greek town shooting, massacre, mass assassination, however you want to describe it. Um, but Terrorist attack. Terrorist attack. But just a week later, the real terrorist attack happened, uh, which is Doug Ford cutting council in half and making making these counselors... <laughs> <laughs> making these counselors fight each other in a round robin steel cage match for their jobs. These politicians are so sickening. Uh, when the attack happened on Danforth, these people, you know, some of them spoke, some of them hid under their desks, some of them wanted to say nothing. Most of them just wanted to emote about gun control, uh, but very little emotion, very, very little going on. When Doug Ford dropped this terrorist bomb, they went nuts. Gord, I'm going to lose my perks, perks, and the communist uh, sisters there, Janet Davis and Paula Fletcher, uh, acting as if uh, as as if Hitler has just burnt down the Reichstag. It is uh, it, it's it's hilarious what what is going on down there, and it hasn't stopped for for a week since then. Uh, Andrea Horvath, you mentioned her. She uh, she spent, I believe, yesterday afternoon rallying the resistance in downtown Toronto, claiming that. Uh, this is not Doug Ford's city. This is our city. Well, first of all, lady, Doug Ford <laughs> is from Toronto, and you're not. You're from Hamilton. Secondly, Doug... A salient point. Sec- Touche. <laughs> A palpable hit. <laughs> and secondly, Doug Ford won lots of seats within Toronto, and everybody knew he for, for years he wanted to cut council. I think in his farewell speech to council when he left four years ago, he said, I wish this whole place would, bur- would burn down or something like that. I mean, and, and he always talked about cutting it to 25 to match the federal and provincial uh, uh, boundaries. So I, I don't... I don't it, it's, it is hilarious to see what happens when... Anyone suggests that you cut any little piece out of the, as as our friend Luce Gizes would call it, the pyramid of extortion. On the topic of the council challenges that will be forthcoming, the cage matches, as you mentioned, it will be to my great amusement that I will observe some of these flakes trying to take each other out after showing so much solidarity over the years on every and any issue that meant milking the public purse for more dollars that it just simply didn't have. But all that aside, you know, savoring all of that, and believe me, I am, and I was, as I mentioned, from afar, overseas, following it all, uh, just wrapped. Uh, I just want to go back one step again and mention also that uh, I'm going to pat myself on the back here, Neil. I hope you don't mind. If uh, if I don't do it, who will? All right, I'll, right? I'll pat you on the back. But, but I, I think, Neil, you'll agree that I was the first to predict that the Ontario Liberals were going to lose party status. Yeah, I agreed with you. Yeah. 
I think it was back in March, perhaps. I'll have to look up the episode, but I have predicted it all along, and I am, you know, patting myself here. Can you hear that? I, I am. That's I'm, me patting myself on the back. I'll pat myself too, because even even when we were skeptical of of Doug Ford and what what uh, who was controlling him or who he was uh, making compromises to, uh, both of us were pretty firm in in our belief that he was going to win and win a, a, a massive majority, um, no matter what he did. And th- that was absolutely correct. The public was uh, ready to vote for a. Uh, you know, a brick wall over over the left in this province. It was it was fed up. Agreed. So I'm going to in turn pat you on the Thank back. Thank you. Because yes, you're absolutely correct on that. We were we we had we had solidarity like the NDP <laughs> used to have. But I just want to also mention here in relation to all of that, Kathleen Wynne, the most loathed politician in Ontario for now and the foreseeable future, ran her own party into the ground. Uh, here, here's why. Now, a lot of people were saying that that last minute uh, Hail Mary, they were saying some brilliant political move, some strategy, some tactic that would somehow or other, you know, unseal the fate of her uh, her party and, and, and her as a politician. Um, well, they were all wrong. The fact is, Kathleen Wynne threw a temper tantrum because nobody would take the helm from her going into that last election. So she was forced to go down with the Titanic the Liberals had become, a doomed ship. Totally true to her character, she threw the tantrum and threw them all under the bus because no one would lift that burden off her shoulders. Yes, but I would, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take any blame off of her own shoulders there because uh, this is somebody who uh, willingly took on the uh, the weight. Uh, I guess it was about five years ago when McGinty skipped town and bolted for the border, and uh, and she, I, she, she, she was very arrogant in in the way she controlled and ruled that party and the province. Totally. And I, I think uh, that I, I don't think uh, she ever came until until it was too late uh, for her to realize uh, that ha- how badly she had sunk in the in the eyes of the public and how much damage she had done to her own party. So. Um, you know, shame, shame on her and shame on the rest of them. And really shame on the entire lib left of Canada, which has gone way too far and is getting their just desserts right Good now. Riddance. And if you want it, if you want another prediction, uh, even though I, I can't stand the way he's leading the federal conservative party, Andrew Scheer, I, he, he's been as AWOL as our own prime minister, um, uh, little potatoes, but uh, I, I still think the Conservatives are, you know, again, could could run a, a ham sandwich and win the uh, the election next year with a majority. I really think that people are that fed up. Oh, I, I agree. I think that it's well within reach at this point, especially if Wonder Boy or uh, whatever I – what did I call him there? The uh, Peacock Popinjay or words to that effect, the Popinjay Peacock of a prime minister. Anyway, I think I have to come up with some new moniker for him. But – uh, he's done it to himself. He has nobody to blame. I just want to also hear, if I may, Neil, touch on one more thing here, because I didn't do this initially in this episode, and I had meant to, and I'm glad you touched mm-hmm. on it. I want to congratulate the Premier. Premier Doug Ford of mm-hmm. Ontario, who won the election, this past election in Ontario, like a boss. Contrary to the pundits and their, you know, I guess... Uh, Flim Flammery, for lack of a better characterization, he managed to pull not only a rabbit, but an entire province out of a hat. And I am so pleased that 
I mean, there are things that I'm not happy about entirely with what's going on. And uh, I'd like to see, and I'm foreseeing perhaps some broken promises here, but so far, I'm going to say this. I have to recant some of the things that I had said about the man who is now leading our province. And I just want to say that, is it me or is he looking a little slimmer these days? Premier, if you're listening <laughs> yeah. to this, if you ever hear it, or if anybody within speaking distance of the Premier hears this, let him hear it. Keep going. We're behind you. We got your back. <laughs> well, I don't know if he should go as far as bringing back the scale that he and uh, he and Rob used to weigh themselves in on at uh, at City Hall back in the early days of Rob's uh, mayor- mayoralty. Uh, that might be going too far, but uh, I agree. He, he does need that. Uh, he also does need to uh, to keep his his uh, intestinal fortitude going because also, as we predicted uh, previously, his, his greatest enemies are on his own side, especially with the majority government here. But uh, I, I believe he did make far too many compromises to the uh, the red Tory uh, sort of power structure of the PC party. Uh, the people he has surrounding him are mostly enemies. In fact, I, I got a, uh, a, a LinkedIn update a couple, about a week ago from a person that I've been acquaintances with, I'm not going to say exactly who it is, but a person in, in the PC party infrastructure, the, the far red, uh, you know, LGB Tory side of the uh, of the party. And it popped up, oh, congratulations, so-and-so on his new job uh, with the uh, premier's office of the province of Ontario. Uh. And this is somebody, this is somebody who spent the entire leadership campaign trashing Doug Ford. I we, we had to unfriend each other on Facebook because he was trashing him incessantly in favor of Kat, of uh, Christine Elliott. And that that nexus there, that Christine Elliott side of the, the party, the red, um, green energy, power hungry um, element uh, of the party that's really indistinguishable from the liberals, aside from maybe some stylistic differences, uh, that is what's uh, going to to uh, either make or break him. And I'll just give one quick example here. Yesterday, um, yeah, Caroline Mulroney, what did we used to call her, Princess Mulroney, yes. and uh, and Rod Phillips, the uh, the wishy washy former uh, chief of of uh, the National Post and the um, the the uh, I guess representative and elected government of the uh, John Tory Paul Godfrey wing of the sure. party. Um, is uh, the two of them were out there giving a press conference yesterday about the green energy file and how they're going to be suing the uh, the federal government. But the devil is in the details yeah. here. Uh, they announced that their primary um, strategy right now is to send a referral to the Ontario Court of Appeals uh, to to judge the constitutionality of refusing the um, the federal carbon tax. Now, if anybody knows anything about the judiciary in Canada. At any level, it is extremely left-wing. There is, and especially at the higher levels, uh, the appeals courts and the uh, the Supreme Court, if they are looking for the Ontario Court of Appeal to bail them out and take their side, uh, they're either delusional or they're purposely subverting themselves. And, you know, I, I lean towards the latter. I think they're actually looking to, for an excuse to give up. And uh, so, you know, again, if, you know, if Doug has to know who he's dealing with here and He's handing off a lot of things to people who really do not like his agenda and or our agenda or the agenda that he got elected on. So there's, there's going to be a lot, lot of, of funny business going and on. There's a lot of involved here. And the fact that he, he made his 
chief rival for the uh, the seat of uh, the leadership of the Ontario PC party, Christine Elliott, his deputy premier, is just. It's beyond me. It's beyond my ken to understand the reasoning behind that move, but perhaps he's got some kind of mysterious political realpolitik. But, uh, you know, and then Caroline Mulrooney. I mean, keep your enemies close, but uh, keep them closer is <laughs> is starting to uh, really look like as if he's maybe setting himself up for something that he may not or may not be prepared for a little ways down the road. Let's see what happens. Let me let me call out the let me before we move on. Let me call out uh, the the next great test of his leadership, uh, which is which is going to be the uh, Toronto mayoral election. <laughs> John Tory is there. John Tory again. You know these are people who the, the two of them who at least publicly have had quite the spa, quite a, quite a bunch of spats uh, against each other the last few years. But oh, they don't like each other. It's personal. It's Neil. personal. But uh, also, uh, you know, as we, we're also we also had on our list to talk about uh, our, our friend Faith Goldie is running for mayor of Toronto. And yes, she is. go Faith. And now Faith is, you know, obviously, you know, in, in the words of the modern left media, controversial. You know, I, I don't find her that controversial. But um, the uh, the fact is uh, she's uh, she, she's drawn a lot of. A controversy or, you know, they, they, they call her alt-right, whatever that means. But uh, she's been close to Doug before. I, I I'm specifically remember pictures of her together with Doug sure. uh, that have been posted around social media. And well, let's clarify, so, not in an intimate, not in an intimate uh, liaison fashion, just as simply a supporter and a friend. Exactly, exactly. Because so you never know try, how the left will try to spin it. They're going to try to tie her around his neck, him around her neck. And oh, please. they're going to... They, they, we'll see how his uh, his friends uh, around him, his red Tory friends, react towards him. And you know, there's two ways it could go. It could go, you know, he will be strong and say, "Look, she can run. Whatever, whatever she wants to do, she wants to do. Uh, we're we're friends, or whatever." Or he can go the Tanya Granick Allen way and completely shut her out and completely uh, denounce her and uh, take in, in in essence the uh, the Weasley way. Well, out. look, Neil, as I mentioned in our last episode, and I'm just going to interject here. I, I think we should be moving on. I liked what Doug Ford said. I wasn't necessarily sold on Doug Ford since his election as premier. He has moved me into the camp where I'm starting to like him uh, more and more by what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. But of course, the devil is in the details and time. Well, time will reveal all, as they say. So, and look, I've been, I've been, uh, I've certainly been skeptical of, uh, you know, I've, I've always been uh, in favor of the man. I like the man. Uh, I've met him a couple times, and I have nothing bad to say about him. No, me neither. But, uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. I am skeptical of uh, his leadership abilities, and, and skeptical so far of the things he's done. A lot of them have, a lot of things he's done so far have looked great on paper, and when you get dig into the details or into the follow through. Uh, it's a little bit on shaky ground, so we we shall see. Or as you said, uh, time will tell. Time will tell all. But uh, there's some of your warning signs. Should we touch on one more person, Patrick Brown, <laughs> who doesn't no, seem no, to want no. to die? No, no, no. We've done enough on him. I'd, I'd rather forget him. He's just a bad afterthought. <laughs> bye, bye, this Patrick. Is the, this is just it's just it's just worth mentioning uh, how funny it is. He's like he's like the vampire that that won't die until you get the stake <laughs> through the heart. 
first first Doug uh, uh, essentially uh, steals, pulls the rug out from under him, and takes his takes his job at the at leadership. Uh, then he tries to run for some sort of regional chair. Doug goes and cancels the regional chair job uh, election. Then the ne- very next day, he registers to uh, to run for oh, mayor yeah. of Brampton, as if it, you know. It, it, I don't know if it, it sounds kind of like desperation, like the guy has to be in elected Believe office. Believe me, it's a drug, and the more they get, the more they need it, and they'll just scramble for even. I bet you, in the end, you'll end up running for a school trustee or something. It's well, disgusting. it represents it represents the fifth. The fifth level of uh, of office he's run for in the past, uh, geez, five or six years, from from federal MPP MP to MPP. It's been to a leader. It's been a, it's been a steep incline chair, down, though. And, you know, the graph is is trending downward. Well, yeah, it, it's definitely a trend downward, and the and the the. Uh, the age lines on his face have been trending uh, very deep. All right, let's forget about yes. that guy. He's uh, he's history. Um, I just want to, if I we may talk about one more personality. I mean, there's the personality of personalities who's overshadowing all of it uh, at this point in time. And then we'll go to the final piece, uh, I think, for the show, Neil, which would be the Danforth mm-hmm. shootings, the terrorist attack in Greektown, uh, so-called, in Toronto. Um, but I want to touch for a moment on... The man of the hour, President of the United States, Donald Trump. (laughs) My goodness. My goodness, Neil. Who would have foreseen that at this point in his presidency, he's at 50% approval rating, which is, I believe, four or five points higher than Obama was at the same point in his term. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you watch CNN, like so many Canadians do, you would think that he's on the verge of, uh, of impeachment and... I don't know zero percent rating, but uh, he's he's over fifty, and it's it's a beautiful it's thing. It's amazing. It's a beautiful thing when when he and watching him operate, Neil, it's it's like watching a virtuoso violinist at this point. Never mind this uh, attempt to smear him as somebody who communicates on a crude, crass level on Twitter. He's talking directly to the American people. And when was the last time an American president? Or any elected leader really did something like that and taking on the establishment in the way he has. It's just been a marvel to watch. The United States of America, my friends, is back and they're making it great Amen. again. And, you know, the, and I'm so happy to see the it most, all. The most entertaining uh, media out there right now are his rallies that he's that he does uh, with the people oh. in the heartland of America. Last night he was in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. I don't know if you've ever driven through Wilkesbury. If you usually if you're on your way to New York City or Philadelphia or Washington, usually you go through Wilkesbury. It is a you know it's it's a very typical uh, Pennsylvania. Um, sort of rust belt town, not much there, a lot of, a lot of fast food and, and big box stores and, and rotting factories. But, you know, this is the heartland of, this is the heartland of, of Trump territory. And, and he was on fire last night. The comedy that he does, his, his, his charisma, his energy for a 71 year old man is just unbelievable. You know, I, I always, you know, I, I study history quite a bit in American history. My, my, uh, my Mount Rushmore has always been Lincoln. Coolidge and Reagan. And, you know, to, for, for someone to come along, you know, maybe not so much uh, Lincoln, but for someone to put Coolidge and and Reagan to shrink them in comparison for his accomplishments. And I really believe that his accomplishments are historic and bigger than anybody in uh, maybe American history because uh, for, for, for what has gone on and what he's doing and what I think the trajectory of what he's doing is about to accomplish. 
um, is just is just incredible in my mind. I, you know, I, I really think he's the most consequential president easily in, in our lifetimes. Uh, you touched on the historical aspect of it, and I agree completely. In fact, I would go so far as to compare him to as uh, the ancient biographer Plutarch. You know, he would take a couple of uh, lives of a Roman and a Greek and compare them and say, you know, what were these great heroes? What what was it that made them great? And But I would compare in a biographical sense and his historical import uh, just the entire appearance of Donald Trump on stage as President of the United States at this time in the American, uh, in the American project, if you will, I would compare him, if anything, to Augustus Caesar. Quite frankly, uh, this is the moment, the defining moment of whether or not the United States will survive, and on into the foreseeable, you know, next few centuries as the dominating major world uh, associate. Let's just look at it as a big corporation. Um, or they will actually be completely uh, reduced to rubble as a result of, you know, civil strife and just in, in, in well, internal turmoil, corruption, the rot, the decay. It's just an amazing yeah, thing for, to personally, watch. Personally, I, I leave think it there. That, uh, that, that the American people will rally behind him in strife. I think they are rallying behind him in strife. I, I think that's why you see, despite the increasing attacks against him and his administration, his popularity is increasing. Uh, but yeah, no, it, just just to put the historical perspective in it, I, I think America was uh, on the trajectory of, of destruction because of so many generations of politicians selling out the country piece by piece, selling out the borders, selling out the economy, sell, selling out the infrastructure. Uh, he is in, in one fell swoop uh, resetting all that to and, and taking all the leverage that that's brought See, these people never expected, you know, the Obamas and the Bushes and the Clintons, uh, ne never expected that someone would take uh, the sellouts that they have done and use them as leverage to regain supremacy. And that's exactly what he's doing everywhere in the world. So, you know, that that's going to play out very well, I think, and, unless something drastic happens. But uh, the Republic was on the ropes. And you've called it correctly. It's a, it was a disaster looming. And as I said, just like Augustus Caesar came in and became the father of his nation. And well, I mean, ultimately, the imperial trajectory here is clear. America has no option but to yeah. become and be an empire. There is no other option at this point. Who's kidding who here? They just have to learn how to manage it and what the borders of that empire are going to be. Augustus, when he stepped in after Caesar's assassination and after Augustus triumphed over Mark Antony, um, when Augustus stepped in, he defined a path for the Roman state that allowed it to perpetuate itself uh, for, well, untold centuries, and I would argue right up to this present day. Uh, but it was Augustus Caesar's doing, and I believe that I think Trump um, uh, I would compare the life of Augustus Caesar in many ways with that of Trump, with the exception uh, of uh, uh, Trump's entrepreneurial uh, background, whereas Augustus was born to the mantle. However, uh, their import as historical figures, I think uh, they're both at they were both at this cusp yeah. of yeah. make it or break it. And so far, <laughs> winning, <laughs> winning with that dragon energy. <laughs> All right, let's move on to, uh, and we'll, we'll talk about a little more depressing issue here, uh, but a pretty revealing one in many in many things, uh, the Greek town shooting, Sam. And I'll let you take uh, take over on that because that's your old stomping ground. That's your uh, 
That's the land of your youth. I was away overseas when it happened. I was horrified. Both my wife and I and my son, uh, we were just, uh, it was, I cried. Neil, I'm sitting uh, by, picture this, I'm, I'm sitting in a beautiful uh, club med, all amenities and all, uh, you know, anything you can want or possibly need at any moment at your fingertips. The sun is shining. I'm by, by the pool, all of that. And then I get this news and it was as if, Oh, I don't know. Just everything just tumbled right out from under me. It was yeah. it was horrific. I cried. I you know you're on vacation to have a good time. I cried. I was so depressed for a few days there, and I mean, my entire yeah, family yeah. was just shocked. And so I went down when I got back the other night. I went down just to see, uh, just to see it, just to feel it. And I remember as I was as I was driving up. I mean, all these scenes of my memory of. You know, 30 years of actually growing up down there, more, quite frankly. Let's just say three decades of being solidly involved in the community from working down there to just knowing everybody and everything that went on. And just to see uh, that it had happened and what had happened, the the incident itself is just so, well, it makes me angry, Neil, very angry. But I have to try to temper that anger with, you know, some sort of movement forward towards a solution. I'm not sure exactly what that solution might be here at this point in time, but I can see a basic fundamental incompatibility as being at the root of all of this, not, you know, mental health. And, and I know there was an attempt to spin by the media to uh, make this fellow out as uh, some type of victim of a system, an unnamed system or whatever, and his parents somehow uh, being uh, singled out as needful of empathy in this time of their grief. But Neil, I don't have any empathy for them. What parent doesn't know what sort of a seed they're raising yeah. in their garden? Really, two two lightning strikes in the same place twice, and the parents were oblivious. The other son, also a sociopath, with enough carfentanil or whatever it's called to wipe out well, pretty well, the entire population of this country uh, ultimately, because yeah. I'm sure he had access to more. How many yeah. of these caches are out there? It's it was an act of terrorism. Plain and simple. This was not a mental health issue, and yeah, I will know, Sam, never buy that. You know, you mentioned you, you've mentioned all these these emotions that, that that you wept, that you have that that there's empathy for the people who, who the victims for what's happened to the Danforth, uh, for the future of the Danforth, and yet uh, the the first instinct of the media is to pacify and and numb everybody to exactly what happened. Don't tell You're us right. the details. Don't tell us what what exactly what happened. Portray the perpetrator as some sort of victim, and then push it off to the side and forget about it as soon as possible. And you know, it, it's it what you mentioned about the carfentanil there. As soon as that angle came out in the story, it disappeared. It disappeared from the media. They have not been talking about it. And the reason is they couldn't sell this stupid uh, mental illness uh, defense. First of all, because there was a nice cell phone video of this professional shooter assassinating somebody. Uh, that's clear as day that this is a professional assassin and not some uh, wingnut who snapped. Uh, second of all, you can't make the case that he's a wingnut who snapped because he didn't live on the Danforth. He went there specifically for a targeted purpose. He saved it for a Sunday night. Now, I've heard people say, well, why did he do it on Sunday night? Why didn't he do it on a Saturday night when there's more people there? He must be crazy. Well, no, just the opposite. If you're out there to assassinate a certain number of people and get away with it, you, you, you want there to be a, a more controllable amount of people on, on, you know, on some Saturday nights on the Danforth, you can't even move on the sidewalks. Right. Uh, so he needed a little room to maneuver. Uh, and third, he was targeted. He was, he was going cafe to cafe, boom, 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 targeting individual people, 
sharpshooting. Well, they were Greek. They were Greek establishments. He was targeting Neil, and I know yeah. the owners. I mean, I saw when I went down there uh, two nights ago. Uh, when I went down there just to just to see it, I didn't talk to anyone. I just walked up, had a look, took a couple photos of the memorials there. What's what's been left there? The flowers. It was incredible. Uh, but I, I didn't stay, and I did see someone who I knew, but I didn't bother talking. There were people milling about that wanted to talk, including owners of some of the restaurants who I either have worked for or, or who know me. But as I said, I didn't stick around, uh, but I will go back. I don't think it's time yet to talk to these people about it. Uh, I will go back eventually, and I'll find out what happened. I mean, in graphic detail, I will know exactly what transpired inside the two main uh, Target restaurants, both under Greek ownership, a cafe and a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I will know. Let's put it that way. And, and, we'll and I'm, I'm just, I'm so, so deeply concerned over the fate of the individuals who were wounded. I mean, never mind the fact that, oh, never mind. How could I, you can't get over the, the, the 18-year-old young woman and the 10-year-old uh, both ostensibly having dinner or desserts or coffees with their family after, I don't know, an event of some kind or meeting there with friends, family, uh, celebrating life, essentially. And this murderous thug, jihadist, we have evidence from what surfaced anyway that he was involved, even though the media tried to sort of hush it all up and, you know, con- controvert everything that was coming forward about this guy. Uh, there is strong evidence to believe that he was a radicalized jihadist terrorist who had possibly been one of these one of these ISIS fighters that Trudeau welcomed back with open arms. Trudeau, who was uh, on personal days throughout the whole thing, not a peep out of him except some you know measly little few words on Facebook, I think it was, or Twitter, perhaps I don't even know. Uh, I don't care, and that is a telling detail about what the priorities of this. I don't even want to call him an individual. I think he's a golem. You know, uh, you're Jewish. You understand what a golem is. It's just an exactly. It's like a robot, an automaton that's controlled by the magician behind the scenes. You know, the the guy behind the curtain, or the woman behind the curtain, as the case may be. There are mages and there are witches. Yeah. He's just a golem. But even even if you even if you consider him not not a golem, but just a a useless weak leader, which he's which he's he's, he's that as well. Um, you know, you, you look, it's a very concerning trend what's happening here. You have, as we said, a, a great president in the United States uh, resetting the American empire. Uh, this stuff is not happening in the United States right now. It's not happening at all. And there's right. a reason for that because their president, their leader has exerted strength. He has put out even, uh, you know, he, he has curtailed the immigration of these people, made it harder for them to to get into the, his country, to stay in his country, to operate in his country. Um, they can scream racist all they want, but Islam is not a race and ISIS is, is an enemy. So he's exactly. doing what he he's doing exactly what he needs to do. Uh, whereas you have Canada, which was taken over by uh, the freak liberal party who idealizes, in my opinion, international death and destruction, uh, who are all along with this UN agenda of spreading Middle Eastern uh, people throughout the world because they can't either either uh, they have some sinister agenda or they simply can't figure out what to do with with this this region of the world. Uh, they can't fix it. They claim they, they can fix it. Uh, but they, they the easy solution is just to let these people spread themselves wherever and and just just leave it. Who knows what's behind these people's minds? But 
the bottom line is we are being exposed to this uh, on purpose. And these people are taking advantage of it. They take advantage of weakness. And they also need a place to go because their little little fantasy homeland in Syria and Iraq and the border region there has been uh, blown to smithereens by the American military. So, uh, but this, this and other incidents that have happened, the, the mysterious van, uh, uh, van ramming on uh, Young Street a couple months ago, which was blamed on some, uh, mysteri- it was, it was just as horrific. And, uh, in, in my opinion, it was targeting a stretch of a uh, Young Street that has, uh, also was representative of a, uh, another, uh, minority community, the Asian community. Uh, if you've ever been, to, if you've ever been to Young and Finch, you know that is uh, the, the heart of Koreatown, a Japanese town, and these are people. I, I believe that was the target there uh, to create terror and fear and drive people out of there. Um, the the uh, murder, the assassination of the Shermans, the prominent Jewish family, Jewish philanthropists. That's still hanging. We haven't got really any sort of definitive uh, explanation. I don't. Well, think, I think do we? I think that the police are pretty sure, and you know, everybody's pretty sure that that was a targeted assassination of some kind. Whether it had to do with his drug business, and you know, maybe, maybe that is what it is after all. We're looking at these huge carfentanil caches in uh, in Canada. There's there was there's been two. You know, the one the one uh, held by uh, Faisal Hussein, Hussein's brother. Uh, was just one. There was another one that was just brought to my attention yesterday uh, from February in Edmonton. Three and a half million dollars worth of carfentanil that was being stored in a rental apartment basement uh, underneath some some college uh, frat boys that were renting the upstairs. In the basement was a huge carfentanil cache. But uh, yeah, the the very mysterious stuff is going on. Uh, And in my opinion, it, it involves the extreme weakness of Canada's leadership and uh, extreme weakness towards ISIS and Islam and and just callousness towards this stuff at, it, it to, with with the last consideration being the safety and security of the Canadian people. You know, Neil, uh, you mentioned the, the, the mess in the Middle East and uh, the imperial trajectory of the United States. And I'm just going to say, again, this brings me back to the point about Augustus Caesar and uh, the correlations between him and Trump. Uh, Augustus actually established a terminus for the empire. Like, we want to grow to this size. We're at a, the size we want to be at. We must not expand any further. We need to consolidate and control what's within our borders. And we're not going to be involved in, you know, what's going on over there. Sure, we'll keep an eye on them just to make sure they don't, you know, pull a fast one and catch us when we're sleeping. Uh, that'll never be allowed to happen. But by the same token, uh, he did not want this mass migration and managed to establish the frontier. That is what Donald Trump is doing. He is establishing the frontier for the, I suppose, the terminus lines of the American empire. We must support what he's doing. It's the last gasp for Western civilization in the face of the global burqa that some people want to basically cover this entire planet with. But that, Neil, in a nutshell, I think encapsulates where we are in history right now. The entire fate of Western civilization is essentially depending upon this man in the office of the president of the United States of America. And I'm glad he's there. Yeah. And and the danger, there's a big danger here for Canada because we are rejecting being part of this, if you want to say, new world order, as in the new, uh, you know, or the, in, in, my, in, my, in my view, the reset of the American 
empire of the 20th century, uh, we're, we are uh, shirking our responsibility and opting ourselves out of it. And it's, it's just, it's insanity. It's insanity. We it's politics, Neil. It's just politics, and he's playing to his base, which is quickly eroding. I'm going to say this. Uh, five years ago, I spoke with, I was having a conversation with, in fact, you know, we were, uh, I was over at his home. We were having a conversation with a very long-serving, I'm not going to say who, but a very long-serving, sitting uh, liberal MP at that time. And I said to him, I said, you know, the future is conservative. And he scoffed and change the subject. But Neil, we are seeing it. This fellow, this uh, Trudeau, this issue of, uh, uh, I'm not going to say a better man. I don't believe he was a better man in the sense of a moral better man, but at least he was certainly the superior of this part-time drama teacher. I mean, let's thank God that people kind was just a part-time drama teacher and didn't actually, you know, uh, spend any time in the profession. Um, but I just want to say that we are in trouble here in Canada, but I believe I, I, I'm an optimist. Uh, as funny as that may sound and probably uh, contradictory to reports of, you know, where I stand on issues, I do believe that the good will win out in the end. I believe that. And despite the madness of the current administration and where they're taking us, I do believe that the good will win out and we're going to get back to uh, good old conservative values in this country or we'll be subsumed by the American empire growing at our feet, which will just simply move in and let's just leave it there. Uh, yeah. And and would I complain if the, if the choice was to be part of the American empire or to be, be part careful of the, here <laughs> of the liberal? <laughs> I don't, be, be careful I, here. I don't know what you want me to be careful of, but I'm going to say it anyway. I don't want to be part of the lib left Euro empire. Here, here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Neil and Sam show, please share it as widely as possible. Neil and I will be back after our summer vacation period with many more episodes to come. Until then, keep winning. Keep winning.